Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Searcy Sports Show. I am your host, Nelson Searcy, and I believe a few words can change your day and your life. Wherever you are listening today and whatever platform you may be listening on, I hope you are having a fantastic day. It is a beautiful weekend here in Kansas City, and it is a beautiful day to talk about some sports. So let's get into today's Searcy Storylines, three current stories in the sports world that are catching my eye. The first story of the day comes from the National Football League, and it is another blockbuster quarterback trade as Carson Wentz heads to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for two draft picks going to Philadelphia, one being a third-round pick in this year's NFL draft and a conditional second-round pick in next year's draft, which can turn into a first-round pick if Carson Wentz plays 75% or more of the snaps as quarterback for the Colts. Now, my immediate opinions on this trade are ones of not surprised. It seemed like the most likely option from day one of the Carson Wentz trade rumors would be the Indianapolis Colts as Phil Rivers retired from the starting position this offseason and also because of Frank Reich, their head coach, his previous relationship in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz as he was his offensive coordinator. They are rekindling that relationship in Indianapolis and hoping for a fresh start for Carson and a fresh start for Frank Reich as they continue to build that offense. I do think that this is a pretty good trade for both sides. A lot of people were concerned that the Eagles were not getting enough compensation for Carson Wentz. However, there are a lot of question marks surrounding Carson Wentz at this point in time in his career. He's five years in. He just had the worst year of his career by far. And there are issues such as turning the ball over, consistent injury history, and it's been kind of all over his body. So that is a concern as well. And kind of the attitude that he seemed to bring as a leader in the locker room. Carson does present himself to be a pretty solid guy all around. However, leadership doesn't just come out of nowhere. So he needs to make come in and make a big impact immediately. Plus, the Eagles will be able to move off of some of his salary. I know that the dead money is very high, but they didn't really have much choice if they are trying to move forward to another route such as Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. Um, the Colts get a player who, obviously, as I mentioned, is familiar with the coaching staff, the system, and I think that Carson Wentz will do well there so much as he can stay healthy, and I think that the Eagles will benefit from having this fresh start and being able to develop their young players on offense. The second story of the day comes from the NBA, and it is that the Boston Celtics seem to be in some trouble, not just because they are losing, but because I'm not sure what they can do about it. So when I take a look at the Boston Celtics roster at the moment, Kemba Walker, starting at point guard, he has come on to better form as of late, but the lack of defense that he provides is always a little bit of a concern. So on a night that he is not sharp in terms of the offensive side of the ball, he is not a huge help to the team. Then you look at the two young superstars of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They play very well consistently night in and night out, and it's hard to really ask for much more of them right now, especially at this stage of their career. Then you move on to the big men rotation of Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson, and Robert Williams III. Those three are a pretty solid rotation. They all offer many positives in their game. 
but I'm not sure that any of them are really explosive enough to make the biggest difference throughout the game. So it's hard. I feel like it would be hard for Brad Stevens to really decide who to go to other than the hot hand, quote unquote. You look at their bench and their bench is pretty young, but it is very productive as you have guys like Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, Semi Ojolet, and Javante Green, Tremont Waters, Grant Williams. The names go on and on. They have a lot of young, talented players, but it just feels like they're similar to the big men. Their contributions are solid, but just not amazingly explosive. And I just feel like the Celtics are looking in a lot of directions that I'm not sure that they're really going to find except for just simply playing better and being more explosive. And the fact is that I'm not sure if I see that right now. I think that the Celtics will be fine and will make the playoffs and all of that. But as far as their potential to be a contender that many saw at the beginning of the season is starting to be wary, especially with the additions that the Brooklyn Nets were able to have, the MVP play of Joel Embiid, and other factors in the Eastern Conference are just making the Celtics road look that much harder every day. And the third storyline of the day comes from the golfing world, and as we found out this past week, Tiger Woods was in a very serious car accident, had multiple serious injuries that required surgery, reconstructive surgery on his leg and ankle. We won't see Tiger on the golf course for quite a while, and I'm wishing him the speediest of recoveries and sending prayers and thoughts to his family as he continues to work back to health. I kind of wanted to just take some time to reflect on where we are in the golfing world as the generation that I grew up in, its biggest players, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, etc., Ernie Els, we're kind of finding the turning point as where we are officially seeing a lot of those names really move out of, of contention. Tiger has battled health issues the past handful of years with his back, his knee, etc. And we are continuing to see that get in his way as he tries to consistently compete. And when he is playing, he's still playing at a very high level, which is exciting to see. But we just know that we are going to be seeing less and less of him because of his issues with staying healthy. We look at a guy like Phil Mickelson, who has continued to try to find ways to reinvent his game and stick with the consistency in the driving distance and the swing speeds that are almost, you know, feel required at this point from guys like Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy. The best players in the world are all hitting the ball really far, really consistently. And that has seen Phil focus a lot on his driver, which has never been his strong suit. And his short game has not been as sharp as it has been in his previous years past. And we're seeing Phil transition a bit more to senior tour events and possibly the rumors of him becoming a part-time analyst on TV. And we look at other names that were popular at that one time, Ernie Els, Vijay Singh, etc. They're just quite frankly getting older and realizing their limitations as well. And it's it's quite a it's quite an uh, an eye-opening experience to realize how to realize when transitions in life happen. And, and I'm currently seeing that happen in the golfing world from one generation to the next. And this generation that we currently have of golfers, the ones that I just mentioned previously, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, Bryson DeChambeau, and the likes, 
they are all super impressive and golf is in really good hands for a long time. But I'm just taking a moment to kind of reflect on Tiger's career, Phil's career, and all those golfers that came when I was growing up as a kid and just realizing that their time was was quite incredible for the game of golf and they're kind of handing it off to the next generation now. And it's not completely over. I'm sure that when Tiger returns, he will be playing at a high level. Phil Mickelson can still play at a pretty high level. And I'm sure that we'll see them around for quite a while. But I think that the dominance of the youth in this new gen- in this next generation has really started to take over. And we're seeing that happen right now. Now I just want to take a quick moment, as I like to do in each show, to remind everyone listening to make sure you're taking care of yourself this week whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, or whatever it may be, make sure you are reaching out to those around you and just making sure that you and everyone else is taken care of as you maneuver through life this week and going forward. And now getting back to the sports, the Major League Baseball season is right around the corner as we have just begun spring training this weekend. And I kind of want to take a quick moment to look at my... MLB season predictions by division and kind of talk about one team in each division that I'm really excited to watch play baseball this year. Starting with the AL East division, I have the New York Yankees winning the division at a record of 95 and 67. However, the team that I want to talk about today is the Toronto Blue Jays, which in a previous episode, I have talked about a little bit as well. Um, I'm really, really impressed by the batting lineup and the pitching lineup that they have put together this offseason that they have going forward. Um, as far as the hitting lineup for them, it is projected to be something like George Springer, Simeon, Bo Bichetti, Tasker Hernandez, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kavon Biggio, Guriel, Rowdy Tellez, and Danny Jansen behind the plate. As far as their pitching goes, they do have Ryu. They have Robbie Ray, Nate Pearson, Tanner Rourke, and Steven Matz. I really am impressed with the team that they have kind of put together for this season, and I really think they're going to be exciting to watch, especially in terms of them putting up runs. I think that they are going to have a really consistent, powerful lineup, and I'm, I really think that they are one of the sleeper teams to watch in terms of contending for a World Series this year out of the American League. As far as the rest of the AL East goes, I have the Rays finishing third at a record of 84-78. and 78. The Red Sox fourth at a record of 76 and 86, and the Orioles in fifth at a record of 56 and 106. Now moving into the AL Central, the team that I have winning the division, I actually have making the World Series this year. It is the Chicago White Sox finishing first in that division at a record of 85 and 77. The thing that attracts me the most about this team, and actually most of the teams that I'm going to talk about today as we go through each division is the hitting lineup that the White Sox have in front of them. They are just consistent and widespread in terms of power, consistent hitting, and and the ability to get on base. They have Tim Anderson, Adam Eaton, Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez, Moncada, Robert, Ingle, and Madrigal, and I really just enjoy the prospects of that lineup as you go throughout the season and need consistent offensive production. I think that those bats will get really hot by the time that the playoffs come around at the end of the season, and I think that the White Sox really have that punch that it takes to power through the playoffs and get to the World Series. 
As far as the rest of the AL Central goes, I have the Minnesota Twins finishing second at a record of 83 and 79, the Indians finishing third at a record of 80 and 82, the Royals fourth at a record of 73 and 89, and the Tigers fifth at a record of 58 and 104. Moving on to the AL West division, I still have the Houston Astros as the top dogs of that division, finishing in a record of 90 and 72. However, the Los Angeles Angels, in the same, in a similar light, I should say, as the Chicago White Sox, I think that their bats really have the potential to carry them through the season, whilst their pitching might not be absolutely blow your socks off. Their core of the lineup that is consisted of Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Justin Upton, Shohei Otani, and Dexter Fowler really provides them for the opportunity to have a very consistent offensive production throughout the season, which is something that they will definitely need in order to keep up with the Astros in that division. I have the Angels finishing with a record of 85-77 and 77 and making a wild card spot in the playoffs, and I don't necessarily see them flashing in the playoffs, but I do think that they have a lot of potential this year for the first time in quite a while. As for the rest of the AL West this season, I have the Oakland Athletics finishing with a record of 74 and 88, the Seattle Mariners finishing a record of 71 and 91, and the Texas Rangers finishing with a record of 69 and 93. Now making it into the National League, I have one that might be a bit aggressive for some people, but I think that this team could really be a huge success in 2021, and that is the New York Mets. I have them winning the NL East with a record of 94-68. and 68. As I have pointed out based on my few AL teams that I have discussed, the hitting prospects for the Mets are crazy good as their lineup is highlighted just by a lot of powerful, intimidating hitters, such as Francisco Lindor, Conforto, Pete Alonzo, Dominic Smith, and J.D. Davis. Plus, if you have Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil highlighting the, highlighting the top of the batting order, I really think the Mets are set up for success this season, and I see them really exploding into an impressive team and a contender for the NL pennant. As far as the rest of the NL East goes, I have the Atlanta Braves finishing with a record of 86 and 76, the Philadelphia Phillies finishing with a record of 84 and 78, the Washington Nationals finishing with a record of 81 and 81, and the Miami Marlins finishing with a record of 74 and 88. As far as the NL Central goes, I have the St. Louis Cardinals finishing first with a record of 89-63, and 63. and with their impressive acquisition of Nolan Arenado this offseason, again, going to talk about the hitting prospects, but man, their lineup really seems intimidating and, and, and quite something to me. Probably leading off with Tommy Edmond, and then leading into a powerful middle of the lineup of Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado then backed up by some experience with Yadier Molina. And you can't forget the outfield of Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Harrison Bader, who all have a lot of speed and bring a lot to the lineup as well. I really think that the Cardinals will be able to build off of that power and consistency throughout the season and win the NL Central slimly over the Milwaukee Brewers, 
who I have with a record of 87 and 65. As far as the rest of the NL Central goes, in third, I have the Chicago Cubs finishing with a record of 82 and 80, the Cincinnati Reds finishing with a record of 77 and 85, and the Pittsburgh Pirates finishing with a record of 55 and 107. And the final division is the NL West, and I have the LA Dodgers finishing first with a record of 103 and 59, but I really don't feel like the San Diego Padres are too far behind now that the pitching rotation is set up with Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell and the middle of the Padres lineup being highlighted by Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., Eric Hosmer, Tommy Pham, Will Myers. Man, they just really have a strong lineup, and the star pitching power of Darvish and Snell really makes them feel like a complete team this year, and I have the Padres finishing with a record of 97-65. and 65. As far as the rest of the NL West, I have the Arizona Diamondbacks finishing with a record of 74 and 88, the San Francisco Giants finishing with a record of 72 and 90, and the Colorado Rockies finishing with a record of 51 and 111. And for the final thought of the day, my World Series prediction for 2021 like I stated, when I was going through the AL teams, I really feel like the White Sox have the power in their lineup to make it happen in the postseason and make a run. As far as the NL, I really am impressed with the completeness of the San Diego Padres roster. However, I do think that the stacked team that the LA Dodgers have put together over the last couple of years will continue to reign in the MLB, and I have the LA Dodgers defeating the Chicago White Sox in six games in the World Series. And with that, that concludes today's episode of the Searcy Sports Show. I thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find the show on your favorite streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search the name, The Searcy Sports Show. And with that, this is your host, Nelson Searcy, signing off.